Amen. Blessed assurance, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17 this morning. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. That's assurance that's blessed. God has blessed the assurance that he's given you. He's already given it to you. You could be growing more assured every day. And I'm going to minister this message, title that today, Blessed Assurance, because the reality of the blessed assurance that God has given us based on, as it is, how do I say this? Just as sure as you are, to that same degree, you'll trust in the Lord. If you're not sure, you're not going to trust. Based on your level of assurance that you're walking in, in the Lord, and, and knowing what that means, what he did for you at Calvary, and we'll see that's where he gave you the assurance that you already have received, but we have to learn to walk in that assurance, to have a trust in him. And the greater we know that we can be sure of what we have, the more we'll trust in him. Amen. When, we don't, when we're not sure about something, we're not going to trust in it. You know what I mean? Somebody's eating the same kind of plate of food you are sitting on the table over there and they got their nose turned up, you're going to probably be thinking, uh-oh. What about you live in a town where bombs go off just sporadically every once in a while? Blow whole blocks away, babies, mamas, all families, blocks just blown away. Those people, when they go to bed at night, they're not laying there like you are with the assurance you have where you go to bed at night. When I was a little boy, we didn't even lock the doors because we were sure we were safe. But today, you better lock your doors because <laughs> somebody in every town in America is looking for an unlocked door. And it's those levels of assurance that we have in whatever it is that we're trying to be sure about that's going to determine how much we can trust in that. And we're going to see today that we can sell out to the Lord. You can be completely sure about Him. We all experience things, all of us have and will again, if we stick around very long, things that we wanted to be this way, but they turned out totally the opposite. Things we really wanted to happen, but they really didn't. Things that we have to go through that uh, we never saw coming. Things we have to learn. Things we have to suffer. But God's trying to do something in all of it. Things that have happened to us in our lives that have had an effect on us that we didn't want it to have on us. Anybody... Besides me, yeah, that means everybody in the room. You know, you didn't make that happen. That was just a bad thing that happened. It was a very horrible thing. And now it has touched you in a way. It touches you. It has strings on it. You, you wish you could just get past it. You, you wish you didn't have to even think about it. You, 
you just, you know, God help me. I, but something about whatever that is or that whole gamut of things, it touches you. Bad things happen all the time. Things that are naturally going to happen. I mean, but you have to learn to trust in the Lord in the midst of all of it. Because it's not good enough just to make it through something. Everybody makes it through everything. But if you make it through it trusting in the Lord with a, the assurance he gave you, then you're going to come out different than other people who just go through stuff. You're going to go through stuff whether you're saved or not. You're going to go through stuff whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit or not. And a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, the Lord ministered a word, just a really quick word, that there's a storm coming. And whenever the Lord ministers a word and says there's a storm coming, you have to always make sure that you take shelter. And wherever you take shelter, when the storm is over, is going to determine where you at when the storm's passed. And the only shelter we've got to take is that faith in the sacrifice of Christ. That is our shelter. The cross and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is enough, the Bible says, for every man to be sure. Every man to have this assurance. And we'll see it in the scriptures today. Isaiah 32 and 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. Everybody knows what the work of righteousness is. The Bible says in Colossians 1 and 20 that he made our peace by the blood of his cross. So if we know Jesus made our peace by the blood of his cross, but yet we're being told here through the prophet Isaiah that the work of righteousness shall be peace, when we put that together, when we rightly divide, righteously divide the word, we see that the work of righteousness that is peace was carried out by Christ at Calvary. The cross of Christ is the work of righteousness. And all righteousness that we get to experience as the fruit of righteousness, as the, the righteousness of the law being fulfilled in our hearts cannot happen ever, not even one time when our hearts are not yielded to the sacrifice of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just do the work without my faith. It takes my yielded heart to the sacrifice of Christ where the work of righteousness was done before the righteousness of the law can be being fulfilled in my heart as I walk after the Spirit. So watch this Bible verse now. Prophesied 800 years before Christ came, the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness Quietness and assurance forever, forever. Now, where this scripture is given through the prophet Isaiah, it's given literally in the context of God's people. Let's go ahead and read Isaiah 32 and 18. Because the work of righteousness shall be peace and its effect will be 
quietness, meaning stillness of soul, and assurance forever, watch, and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation. And in sure dwellings, which means a place of assurance, and in quiet resting places. The word sure means secure. Now, this is prophesied of Israel one day literally dwelling in the land that God gave them with no threat of any enemies. They will be safe and secure forever and ever with the assurance of that. They'll be able to lay down at night and and go to sleep without even a thought of an enemy knocking on the gate. But for you and I now, the work of righteousness that will provide all of that has already provided, look at what it says there in verse 18, my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation. The peaceable habitation that we dwell in now as God's people is in Christ. He is the temple. He said, you tear the temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. And they said, my Lord, it took lots of years to build this. What you going to build it? How you going to build it in three days? The Bible says Jesus was talking about his body. He's our temple in which we live. We live in a place now spiritually where Israel will live naturally and spiritually forever and ever. But today it's ours. It's ours because we're in Christ. So look at this verse again. Isaiah 32 and 17. The work of righteousness. Everybody say Jesus did it on the cross. It shall be peace. We have peace with God now. We don't have to go to bed at night thinking that God is uh, mad at us. We don't have to go to bed at night wondering, you know, if I'm really saved. Well, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, then you're saved. Some folk try to make it hard today. It ain't hard to be saved. All you have to do is believe in the heart. Jesus died for you. You're saved. It ain't after you go do something because you can't get saved by what you do. Somebody trying to tell you you got to do something to be saved, they lying and don't know it. Even if it's water baptism, that can't save you. Jesus saved you through dying for you. And when he did, the work of righteousness was done. Peace was offered. And all who believe in him have the peace with God. And we can have the peace of God if we keep our faith exercised in what he did to give us that peace. A lot of Christians don't have peace. A lot of Christians living in oppression, depression. A lot of Christians living in confusion and minds of chaos. Because there's only one reason. There's not two or three. There's one reason. When the heart, not just because I say something, when the heart is yielded to the very work of righteousness that Jesus carried out at Calvary, that means that the peace of God now can be experienced by me. You do know that the work of Christ at Calvary was perfect love, right? And the Bible does say that that perfect love cast out fear. 
fear can be cast out. And the reason we fear is because we're just not sure of how sure I can be in the Lord. Well, I do believe in the Lord, and I do go to church, and I do read my Bible, and I, but you know, every once in a while, I, I, I've got to. No, no, you don't. When they slap you on your cheek, you turn the other one. Why did it get so quiet up in here then? Amen. Because it ain't easy to do that stuff. Matter of fact, it's impossible unless your heart's yielded to Calvary. Unless your heart's yielded to Calvary. You can be sure then that you can turn the other cheek. Just not sure I ought to take this. I think I'm going to slap him back because I'm not sure as I ought to be in what I'm trusting in. The level of your assurance in what Jesus did at Calvary and just how much you determine that's enough and just how worthy he really is is going to be the level of our trust in him and our dependence upon him. And we grow in that. We grow in that. You're given everything we need at the born-again experience, but we have to grow our level of assurance, our level of trust, the, the experience of peace that we experience should be being more and more and more. Amen. And our children, our children, need to do more than hearing me tell them what's right. They need to be able to watch me and see me living in peace. Man, I said my kids need to be able to watch me and learn from me what it really means to trust in the Lord. Far more than going to a church. Far more than reading a chapter or two a day, those are wonderful things. But when we do get slapped in the face, not literally, but in certain situations or when things happen and they seem to grab a hold of us and, 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 and things do do that, amen? Things grab a hold of us. You can go through things that will grab a hold of you and, and try to keep you from growing. But there ain't but one answer. There ain't but one answer. God don't have two answers. He got one son. He gave that one son for that one answer, and it's to get you in the kingdom, and it's to deliver you from everything that doesn't have the fruit of the kingdom. Everything. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, except Jesus, of course. Nobody's perfect, but we don't use that as an excuse to stay bound in something. We don't use that as an excuse not to grow because it's just an excuse the devil gives most people. Just tell them again, nobody's perfect. Tell them again, nobody's perfect. Say it again, nobody's perfect. And we're trained up in that with those phrases that are factual statements, but we can't live by facts. We live by faith. Facts are different from faith. Amen. We're not saved by facts through grace. We're saved by grace through faith. 
So let's read it again. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So quietness means to lay at rest. And that's what happened to you when you died with Christ. You were put to rest. You were put to rest. And assurance means a persuasion that brings a strong confidence that can be of help even to others. You know, we need to be, we need to be more, we need to have this assurance beyond for my own self. We need to have an assurance that when people around us, they can be sure too. When we're living by faith, that helps others to realize the faith is worth keeping. When they see somebody that's sure about this avenue of the cross that God only works in, only saves through, only delivers through, he won't ever offer you anything through any other message than what brings the hearing of faith, which is the message of the cross. People see that determination. Now, you got to hear me today. There's a lot of people that don't like that word in the church anymore. Determine. Well, they just determine. Determine, 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 determine. But there are those that God is dealing with who need to see you are determined. Just like when we read about Paul, he was determined. I want that determination. They took him out of town for preaching the message of Christ and him crucified and stoned him and left him for dead. And the determination he had by the Spirit of God raised him up, sent him back into that same town the next day and preached again. It didn't matter that, 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 that in Paul's day they had Facebook and everybody was unfriending them and blocking them. Well, I better quit being determined. I heard the preacher's wife back there. Amen, Brother Curtis. It ain't about what other people think. It's about what God thinks. And let me just remind you this morning, in case you might have forgotten for just a second, what God thinks is in this book. God ain't thinking outside the perimeters of this book, at least as it pertains to humanity. So people, they make fun of these determined, these cross-preaching churches. And they're the same ones that would have made fun of Paul in that day. My point in this, saying this is, people need to see that you're so sure of Jesus. <coughs> you're so sure that what Christ did at Calvary is enough to save you, keep you, <coughs> change you, and it's the only avenue through which the Holy Spirit will work. <coughs> the Bible teaches <coughs> is when your faith is anchored in that. That alone. People need to see your assurance. The Bible calls it determination. Amen. And you know, it really wasn't Paul's determination. It was God's determination. Because the Bible says God was pre 
determined. <coughs> From before the foundation of the world. Amen? You need to be sure about what it is you believe. You need to be so sure about it, you're willing to talk about it. I talk about it every chance I get. Every conversation we have with somebody, eventually it's going to end up at Calvary. Sometimes it lights a fire. Sometimes it makes people mad. <coughs> the cross of Christ is the place God gathers all men. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw. All men. All, now, not all men that are drawn there accept it. Because the cross of Christ is where God accepts those who believe in his son. But at the cross of Christ also is where men reject that and they're scattered because God is opposing them. God opposes the proud. And the proud are those who will not accept the cross as God's answer for everything. See, the cross of Christ is what gives us our assurance. If God was willing to go to that length to be determined to even reach a point where he would say, it pleased me to bruise and to wound my own son to save you, a sinner. You know, you really weren't worth saving. We like to think God must have saw something in me. The Bible says he saved us only because he loved us. There was nothing to see worth saving, and he didn't, sa he didn't save the old man. He got rid of him and had to recreate you in his son completely from scratch. Nothing of the old. All brand new in Christ Jesus. So assurance is a persuasion that brings a strong confidence that can help you and will help you, but it will also help others. Imagine raising children who can watch you be sure about Jesus. I promise you, they're going to be sure about him too. They're going to be sure about him too. Amen. They might go through some stuff just like we did, but they're going to be sure about Jesus. If you train up the child in the way they should go, but my Bible still says they ain't going to depart from it. Amen. That don't mean if you, if you raise them up in church. No, it says if you train up a child in the way, his name is Jesus, they should go, then they won't depart from it. Woman came to me one time and said, Brother Curtis, I, I, the Bible says you train your child up in the way they should go, where they won't depart from it. And my, I, I, I had my kid in church every Sunday all their life, and now they don't want nothing to do with it. And I said, Ma'am, the way ain't to church. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. One of the reasons we should be hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness so that we can have a greater and greater assurance in the Lord. Remember, it's the work of righteousness that has given us our assurance. So one of the things we can say this morning is the purpose that God has his people, 
desiring, he desires that we would seek his kingdom and his righteousness before all things is so that we can be surely assured in him in all things. Because the effect of his righteousness is assurance. It's stillness of soul. And can I tell you, I hate to be, it's not bad news, it's just reality. Things are coming in the days ahead that if you don't have the stillness on the inside and the assurance you have on the inside of who your Jesus is to you, you're not going to make it through what's coming like you should make it. Now again, everybody makes it through everything. But it's how we come out of it. You'll remember it. Let me read that again. One of the reasons we should be hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness is so that we can have a greater and greater assurance in the Lord because it's only out of the work of righteousness that comes this assurance we have. That means it's only out of what Jesus did at Calvary that gives us this assurance that we have. We sit here today and we can say, well, I'm sure about the Lord. I'm sure about my salvation, and I'm sure we all are. I'm taught, and I know that. But when things happen, the assurance you have is going to have an effect on your response. And let me say to you, I love you this morning. But God is more interested in your response to the situations in your life than he is the situations in your life. He's looking to see, is your response that of being his, being assured in him? Let me say that again. He is more interested in your response than he is what they're doing to you. God, make them stop. God, make them stop. God, don't let them do that again. God, make them stop. And I get that. I'm with that. Lord, help us. But he's more interested in your response to whatever that is than whatever it is that's going on. He's looking for fruit. Fruit of what? Fruit of Christ. The fruits of righteousness. So, there's, and I love to teach on righteousness, and now, even more so, every time I hear the word, see it in the Bible, I love it even more. I really do. Because there are promises that come with righteousness. I have a booklet. It's online. You can click on the store icon and order it, or you can, I don't know, it's about six, eight bucks, whatever it is. It's, we sell it, and uh, it, it'd be good for you. I've sold a ton of them online. Somebody ordered one just a couple days ago. If you love righteousness, the promise is you'll be filled. No, no, that's wrong. I got it wrong. Thank you for correcting me. If you love righteousness... The promise is that he'll pour, the Lord will pour the oil of gladness on you. That means you won't have to go around with your lip hung out like it's, (laughs) nothing going my way. You're not here for things to go your way. If you love righteousness, 
spirit of gladness will be poured out upon you. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. Filled with what? Obviously what, it, what its effect is. Quietness and assurance. If you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness before all things, you'll find your God adding everything to your life that you need. Matthew 6.33. And there's a whole long list of righteousness and its blessings that you need to learn about. Do you know that righteousness is your one defense? You ain't got two. It's your one defense. And that means what Jesus did at Calvary, that's your defense. Me and Andrew, my son, were talking the other day and about something. I don't really remember what. And I said, well, the cross is my, it's my hiding place. It's my safe place. It's my safe place. You move away from the focus of Calvary, and you're moving away from the place you can be kept by God. Because you move away from Calvary, you're trying to keep yourself. And the only thing we're to keep is the faith. Amen? Now, let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 4 this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 4, because what the Lord gives me for you is so that from this moment on, you can look more into this specifically, and you can be equipped and prepared for things that are coming in your life. And hear this preacher this morning, there are things headed your way. There are things headed our way. Amen. Is there ever a time when things aren't headed our way? And let me say this also. No matter how mature we become, the enemy has strategies at every level of maturity that you reach. He's been doing this for thousands of years. Every time we think we're growing, and we are growing, the enemy has different evil, deceptive, deceitful, wicked strategies at that level of growth. That's why the Bible says, when you stand, take heed, lest you fall. Don't say when you're stumbling, staggering along, take heed. No, it says, when you're standing, get ready. When you're standing, get ready, lest you fall. Romans 8 and 4, let's just back up a little bit and read verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through my flesh. Law couldn't save me because my flesh was, couldn't keep it. God had to send his own son in the likeness of my sinful flesh and because of sin, for sin, condemned sin in his flesh. Watch, here it comes. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, not just one time, not just when we're born again, but watch, who walk. Everybody say walk. This is, this is what we do in our life. We walk. This is not talking about that it was fulfilled just one time. 
When we were saved, we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we were made servants of that righteousness, but we must walk serving that righteousness. It's a walk. Watch now, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, I'm reading this Bible verse, particularly here to us today, because the Christian experience, while it is happening, is the righteousness of the law being fulfilled in us as we walk after, meaning being led by the Spirit. And when, everybody say when, because you ain't just automatically ever minute in that. Amen, Brother Curtis. You're not just automatically every minute of your life, every moment of your life walking after the Spirit. Sometimes we're led by our own flesh. Can I get a witness? I know God wants me to do, but I'll tell you what. I, that's us. That's us. If you don't think that's you, then you're worse off than the rest of us. Deception means I don't know that I don't know, but I think I do. So the only time that the righteousness of the law is being inexperienced, inexperienced, fulfilled in me is when I'm walking after the Spirit. And I'm only walking after the Spirit when my heart is yielded to the sacrifice of Christ. Now, this is taught in Romans chapter 6. This is taught in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 5. Flat out taught it to us. Taught it to us that, I'm, that I can walk. Galatians 5 says that while we're walking in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, how much of the flesh have you fulfilled this week? Don't answer that question. Every time that we fulfill some lustful, fleshly thing, we're not walking after the Spirit. And while we're not walking after the Spirit and the righteousness of the law is not being fulfilled in our experience, then our assurance level is on danger. Because it's only if we're walking after the Spirit that the righteousness, the work of righteousness and its effect had on us in fulfilling the law and delivering us out of its grip can we find the assurance we need. <clears throat> when I'm not walking after the Spirit, it's because I'm not as sure as I want everybody else to think I am. Well, bless God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know how it is. <clears throat> when we're not walking after the Spirit, we can't just blame it on because we're in this old human body. That is part of the reason that I guess we can blame it on that. But we have the, we've been given everything to be able to have the potential to walk after the Spirit every moment of your life. So when we're not, it's nobody else's fault. It's not the devil's fault. It's not them lying prophets. And they lied to, no, it's my fault. At the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be me, him, and them. It's just going to be me and him. And I had many years as a Christian to walk after the Spirit. And when I'm walking after the Spirit, the work of righteousness that Jesus did fulfilling and becoming the 
end of the law for righteousness is now having the effect of quietness and assurance in me. Oppression and depression and, and just worry and fear and confusion, those things, they've got to go. They've got to go. It's, it's really not up to you to what, as to what comes into your mind, but it is up to you with what you do with it when it comes into your mind. You don't control what comes into your mind. Well, I guess to some degree we do because, I mean, it's not complete, but we do put ourselves in places where we on purpose look at things and listen to things, and because of those things we see and hear, then we're going to have thoughts that come because of that. But even when we're not, you don't need the world to have evil thoughts. You got enough problems all by yourself. That's what I tell people every I don't need somebody else to mess me up. We messed up all by ourselves. <clears throat> so although I, I didn't, Lord, where'd that thought come from? I, I didn't ask for that. Where'd that come from? Did it did it come from I mean, thoughts can come from the Lord. They can come from your old flesh. They can come from the enemy. But what you do with them is really where the rubber hits the highway. And what we're told to do with thoughts that are against the knowledge of God is to capture them before they capture you. They will capture you and take you somewhere you don't want to go. You're to capture them as a Christian and take them to the obedience of Christ. That means take them to the cross. That's where he allowed you to be a part of his obedience. And if we don't learn to do that, then our thoughts will take us to places where we'll never be sure like we should, never have the assurance that we should. We'll never have the inner stillness of soul that we should have. I mean, you see all this stuff, you know, goes on in Walmart. People, you know, fighting over this and fighting over that. And I mean, if they want the buggy, give it to them. If you want to park there, go ahead, have at it. You know, years ago over on, or it might have been this church, when we moved over here, we've been over here 10 years, and we had a guest speaker coming and, some people from out of town traveled far to get here, and they had their come in here before everybody had their Bibles out there. Come in, nobody was here. They put their Bibles in chair. And one of our people came in and saw the Bibles and stuff was in they chair, and they took them Bibles and stuff, purse and everything, and and moved because they were back. Those people were back there looking at the product that the preacher brought, and. This woman who went to our church, she took that stuff and she moved it a couple rows back. And they come told me, said, somebody moved our stuff. <laughs> you know, people going to tell the preacher. So I got up for everybody and said, don't be moving nobody's stuff. You do not have an assigned seat here in this house. 
First come, first serve. Can't be worrying about what everybody else is doing. And the more you learn to be sure in Christ, the more your assurance is in him, the less you're going to worry about everybody else. Amen. The more you're assured of who Jesus is and what he did was for you personally, for your moment-by-moment living life. You're you're not only going to not be worried about everybody else, but you're going to be an example of that assurance. People need to be assured in this world. People, People really are looking for something to be sure of. They don't have nothing in this world but Jesus to be assured of. He's the only sure thing that exists. Mm-hmm. Y'all all right this morning? Now, there's three things, and I won't have time to teach it today. <clears throat> but there's three things we could have got into this morning, and I'll just give them to you. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not, maybe next time I minister, we'll get back into this. But there are three scriptures, three phrases in the Bible that say the full assurance, the full assurance of something. And those three Bible verses are the full assurance of understanding, the full assurance of hope, and the full assurance of faith. That means there, there, there's areas of growth in all three of those areas. That means there is a place of walking in full assurance of understanding. And you need to have understanding because the Bible says in Proverbs 9 and 10, Understanding is the knowledge of the Holy One. It's the only place you're going to be able to grow in your assurance. But it's the full assurance of understanding. It's the full assurance of hope. Who's your hope? Christ. He's our hope of glory. And the full assurance of faith. The full assurance that faith in the sacrifice. Are you sure of that? How sure are you this morning? That your heart yielded to and trusting in the very death of Jesus is all that you really need. Not all Christians are sure of that this morning. Most preachers aren't sure of that. That's why they're, they always preach the word outside of that context because they're not really sure the cross is all we need. Well, I guess I need to say that again. How sure are you this morning that what Jesus did at Calvary as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, is all that your heart has to yield to and trust for everything? And let me say it again. Most preachers are not sure about that. If they were, they'd open the Bible and they'd let the Holy Spirit Use them to point to that place. It's where the Holy Spirit is delivering you always. Never a moment that the Holy Spirit's not delivering you unto death. 2 Corinthians 4.11 For Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus might be manifest in your mortal body. And that's the ultimate, ultimate goal of God for a Christian in this world is to express Jesus in our mortal body. And it cannot happen because I go to church. 
It can't happen because I tell somebody I go to church. It only happens when I recognize the Holy Spirit is delivering me unto death to get me out of the way and Jesus, for his sake, can be expressed through my mortal body. How sure are you of that? Because it is Scripture. If you're not sure of that, then you will try to express Jesus through some other way than your conclusion that you're assigned and designated place by God on this journey is in your union with Christ in his death. Because he can't be expressed through us unless our faith is touching the cross of Christ. My heart has to be yielded to the reality that Jesus died for me. I died with him, was buried and put away so that the life I now live is by the faith of the one who lives in me. You do know this morning the only reason we have the measure of faith we do is because the one it belongs to lives in us. The old man cannot express Christ ever, not once. The new man can only express Christ as he beholds the work of Christ. How sure of you, how sure of that truth are you? God made me sure of this. He's made me sure of this. That's why when we open the Bible, no matter where we've been for 18 years, it matters not what we're teaching on, marriage, raising children, love, mercy, repentance, faith, and the list goes on and on. But it cannot have an effect in your life if your heart is not touching the blood. The only application of God's word in your heart is your heart touching the blood. Could we put Exodus 24 verse 8 on the screen? A few of us know this, but I want to help you this morning. I want to try to help your assurance this morning in what I just said. Because if you don't know it, and you're wondering about so much, then your level, it's not that you're not, don't have a level of assurance, but the Bible talks about full assurance of. Full assurance of. So let's back up a verse, Sister Robin, if you could. Old Testament. Moses took the book of the covenant and he read it in the audience of the people, the whole nation of Israel. And they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and we'll be obedient. Now the next verse is the reply from God through Moses to them. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant. He didn't say, Behold the words that were read to you. What is the object in view? He sprinkled the blood on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Without the blood, 
you can't do the word. And just because you got saved by the blood don't mean you can just do the word. Your heart has to be touching that sacrifice. Because if it's not, the Holy Spirit can't work. Romans 8, 2 tells us that, the law of the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit, how sure of you, how sure are you, rather, of the truth that the Holy Spirit cannot work in your life outside of your faith in the cross? Because if you're not sure of that, then that means you're not sure of a lot of other things. But this... Scripture that we just read is God, and it's a, that again is told in the book of Hebrews, and it goes a little deeper. In Hebrews, it says he took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, the altar, and the word. Without the blood, there is no understanding, there's no hope, and there's no true faith. So we have no assurance that we can fully put in what we need to have it in without the blood. And this is why the Lord is raising up churches, preaching, focusing on nothing other than what he is focused on. His son and what he did is, God's not focused on anything else. The Bible says he's ever mindful of his covenant. And Jesus said the covenant is in his blood. So it's all about the blood. Can't, be, can't even be any impartation by the Spirit of the Word into the heart without the blood. We can read it and say, I got it, I understand it. But we don't if the Holy Spirit's not putting it in us. And if there's anything a pastor wants for a congregation, it's for them to be growing in their level of assurance. You can be sure about Jesus. There's no room for doubt when it comes to Christ. He loved you. He gave himself for you. He was put away in burial. He, he was raised on the third day. I think I need to read one more scripture if I can find it. Here it is. One last scripture this morning. We got five minutes. Ain't nobody hungry for sure. Lord's in the process of healing my voice. Y'all hang on. You know, miracles are worked at the hearing of faith. That's what your Bible says. Not when somebody decrees and declares miracles. The Bible says miracles are worked among us through the hearing of faith. You know that a miracle you may need from the Lord, he can work it when there's hearing of faith. Read, it's in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, if you're interested. I hope you are. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. We'll close with this. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. Because he has appointed a day, talking about God, has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, Jesus Christ, whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance to all men in that he raised him from the dead. 
the one that was put to death for our sins. Yes, men did that to him, but God sent him with a command to die. And the one that was put to death so that we could live again with him and in him forever will be the one who was raised from the dead and is the judge. The Bible says he will judge the world in righteousness. In righteousness. He's not going to have a jury. He's not going to have an extra uh, supreme court. He's not going to have... He alone will judge every man's heart, the secrets of all men's hearts, in righteousness. But it says, whereof he has given assurance to all men in that he raised him from the dead. Jesus not only died and was buried, but he raised himself from the dead by the glory of the Father on the third day. And because of that, we can rest assured that everything this Bible says is true. We can rest assured that it is for us. And we can rest assured when we're trusting in Christ and what he did at Calvary, God is working on our behalf whether it appears like he is or not. One of the things we have to learn to do is when we're yielding our hearts to the work of Christ, his death at Calvary, realizing for the Christian that means that we're trusting in that we died with him. When that's where our faith is, we have to learn to accept the consequences of that faith. You have to accept the consequences of that faith. When this people over here says we're not listening to that anymore. Please stop talking about that all the time. You have to accept the consequences of your faith. People are going to leave you. A spouse may leave you. A kid may leave you. They may cut you off at work. But you have to learn to accept the consequences of your true biblical faith, which is faith in the sacrifice. People at work don't care that you go to church. You ain't going to get persecuted or criticized because you go to church. You start talking about Jesus and what he did at Calvary, that's where the hair is going to get rubbed the wrong way on the cat. Oh, I know. I ain't been retired from all that out there but for five years. Six, is it? Six? Wow. Time gets away from the old codger. But I know what it's like for people to come up to you and say, what do you think this is, man, Sunday school out here? And you have to tell them, no, sir, it's Tuesday school. They don't want to. They go to church. They in church every week, but they don't want to hear about nothing spiritual on the job. You know why? Because they're not sure. They're not really sure he's worth talking about all the time. Mm. They're really not sure he's worth talking about just all the time. Preachers need to wake up today and realize 
if we're as sure as we try to make everybody think we are as pastors, then we need to be preaching all the time what it is that gave us that assurance and increases us to a place of full assurance of faith, hope, understanding. Because that's what the people of God need today more than anything is full assurance. To be fully assured, Jesus paid the price. Not just for me to go to heaven, but to live in victory and to be so sure that other people are going to see how sure I am. I'm not talking about being mean, obnoxious. I'm talking about they see that you're so sure it convicts them because they're not as sure as you. They may end up throwing rocks at you and say, well, he just thinks he's all good at two shoes and, oh, he's just a picture of holiness. And they're going to say all that. But they're saying all that because they see how sure you are of him. I remember I brought my Bible to work, long-haired, earrings hanging out. Look, I even had a rabbit fur coat back then. Don't want to scare you. I went in a moment's time from all of that to bringing my Bible to work. I had to grow. I'd have that Bible laid out there on my work table at lunch. It was lunchtime. I'd see somebody coming out of my peripheral vision, and I'd, I'd push the Bible out of the way because I saw somebody coming. My assurance was growing, though. My assurance was growing. There came a time when I'd be there at lunch reading my Bible, and I'd see somebody coming, and I'd say, come here, I want to show you something. Growth, growth, growth. If you're a Christian, you'll be growing. What's growing is your assurance. It's becoming more full, more full, more full. You don't have to get up on the break table at work and start preaching. God's going to open doors for there's people there that want to hear the truth. But they got to see somebody that's carrying it. They got to see somebody that's carrying it, somebody that's so sure about it, they're not scared to talk about it. I'm so sure about Jesus that he can save you right where you are right now. I'm so sure about Jesus that I can tell you if you want to live in victory, it can begin right this moment. You don't have to live in fear, doubt, confusion anymore. You don't have to keep looking back at all we have messed up. My Lord, look at all. We have messed Man, we just messed up a whole life, it seems like. But Jesus says, today it's brand new. You never need to look back. That's the assurance we have in Christ. From this moment on, it's a brand new story right now. It's a brand new story. God's mercies are new and tender every morning. He's looking for somebody he can give more grace to at all times. At all times. Are you sure about Jesus this morning? And is your assurance increasing? Because if you're looking at him, it is. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Praise the Lord. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heirs of salvation. I wish I could say. I can't sing when my voice is working. I want you to know something, saints, this morning. God loves you beyond what you can imagine. I know you know God loves you, but it's far greater than what we can imagine. But if you want to keep looking at one place where you can 
increase in your assurance of just how much he does love you, it's what he did at Calvary. The power of God is still in the preaching of the cross. I don't care what people say. The power of God, the wisdom of God is still in the preaching of Christ and him crucified. The impartation of anything God's offering is going to come through your faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Doesn't matter how young you are back there. Doesn't matter how young you are. Doesn't matter how old you are. How old are you back there, young lady? You right there. No, the other one. Eleven. That's how old I was when I got saved. At eleven years old, and I know this, I know this because my Andrew is 23, and this message is all he's ever heard. It's all he's ever heard. Message of the cross. That's all he knows. And at 11 years old, according to the Bible, you can be as mature as a 70-year-old because what determines our maturity is what we're trusting in. If it's Jesus and what he did at Calvary, you're you're walking with Jesus. You're you're walking in a place of maturity. You you don't mature because you get old. You do physically. But that don't end well. You mature spiritually because of who you're trusting in. And the more you trust in him and what he did at Calvary, the more you'll grow. God's not waiting until you get to be 20 and 30 and maybe when you're 60 you'll have it all. No. 10 years old, 8 years old, don't matter. The heart that looks to Calvary and says, Lord, the only answer you have for me in everything that I need was offered to me when Jesus died for me at Calvary. And I believe that, and that's where I'm trusting. And I'm just trusting in that alone. And I promise you, that's what got, that's how this church got planted. When I told the Lord, I, okay, I agree with that. The answer is the cross. And my hope came alive. Most of you might remember I didn't, we were, we were bankrupt by definition living with Robin's mother and I called a man and a woman and I said I feel like the Lord's stirring my heart it was brother David's sister as a matter of fact I feel like the Lord's stirring my heart to start a church but we don't have any money none no people no place to meet and, and they said why don't you come preach in my house Sunday we did that was over 18 years ago But you know what caused all of that? When God saw my heart yielded to his only answer, and I admitted it, I I didn't have a clue what to do. I didn't have a clue what to do. I didn't know what to do. You don't have to know what to do. Just trust in what he already did. And then God will step by step show you what he's doing in and through your life. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, come, let us pray for you. Come to this altar. We'll be glad to pray for you this morning. The Lord is faithful. Meet you right where you are. Meet you right where you are. You don't even have to come to the altar. We just come to the altar just because we want to We just want to be bold. We want everybody to know the Lord is faithful. I know he is. I'm coming for prayer. 
I know he's able to do it. I want, I want somebody to pray for me. And Lord, we're lifting up our sisters this morning. We thank you for the peace of God. We thank you for the power of God. Oh, we thank you for the grace of God and all that you've offered us through Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we've come a mighty long way, Lord. Most of it we messed up. But today, Lord, we acknowledge that Jesus is our only answer. What he did at Calvary, it's my only answer. It's my only hope. It's the place where I find the assurance that I need. And, Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to recognize that, Lord, my need for more, my need for more of you, and I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to see that no matter the outcome of certain situations, you're always faithful, you're always there, you're always there to encourage and to build us and to walk us on further into the truth. And I thank you, Lord, that whatever the desire of my sister's hearts are this morning, that you already know it, you already see it, and that your touch is upon them already. And I pray, God, that you would open doors for them that they had no idea could have ever existed for them. I pray that you would show them the power of the truth of the cross of your Son in ways that they never knew they could even understand it. That every moment, Lord, they would know that your touch is upon them, your presence never leaves them. But that just also, that just because we have your presence does not mean that we're even in fellowship with you. But we can be because we have your spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that this day will have been a day that our lives will have been changed and that we will make a decision that needs to be made this morning that we're going on with Jesus in spite of whatever else is going on too. We're going on with you, Lord, in spite of the failures, in spite of the things that have broken our hearts. We're going on with you in spite of the things that's been done to us wrong and that we've done wrong ourselves. We're going on with Jesus. And I thank you this morning for decisions that are made to just, to just even more so than ever before, to be found trusting in Jesus Christ and that perfect sacrificial work. Thank you, Lord, for your, your hand of mercy this morning. I thank you for your tender mercies this morning that touched Brother Dale in his body all the way from the top of his head to the end of all ten of his toes. I thank you, Lord God, for your healing anointing this morning. I thank you, Lord, that the hearing of faith is what has given us your spirit and what allows your spirit to work and to even bring forth the healing and the miracles that we need. And, Lord, I just, I just praise you for your touch upon my brother this morning. I thank you for healing his body. I thank you for driving out that infection in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you for giving him a determination, Lord, to be still and to know that you are his salvation because I, 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 I experience a great encouragement from what you're doing in and through him. And I thank you that we all do. 
And I just praise you for the days ahead in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank you for your touch upon my brother this morning. I thank you for bringing him to this little gathering of believers this morning to hear the word of the Lord, which is always going to be the word of the cross. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for hearing the cries of his heart. I thank you for, Lord, showing him that this is the only answer you're offering him and that within this answer, he will find you doing things that he never thought possible, that he'll find you providing things he never thought possible. He'll find doors opening for him he never thought possible, not because he's in this room, not because he's in this church, but because his heart is surrendered to the Jesus of the cross, the Christ of the cross, because he knows that you died for him and that he died with you and he's hidden and safely hidden in you put away in God because of the cross and I thank you for your miracle working power in his life on his body from his head to his toes I thank you Lord for showing him just how faithful you are just how sure he can more and more so be in you every day of his life he can be more sure of you find you more faithful in his life than ever before. And I just give you all the praise for my brother this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for Brother Jimmy. I thank you for what you're doing in and through his life. I thank you for the souls that are marching in through the kingdom doors because of his testimony, his witness unto you and his testimony of Jesus and the gospel being proclaimed. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God for the ministry you've given him of evangelism. I, I thank you, Lord God, that he is not a man looking to be seen, looking to make a reputation of himself, but he's just a man wanting to see more people saved, more people filled with the Holy Ghost, more people assured of this Jesus. And I thank you, and I pray, Lord God, this morning, Lord, even as I'm stirred by your Spirit, for new doors to be opened, new doors to be opened. Oh, hallelujah, that many hearts would hear and receive the, this, this truth of the gospel in the days ahead through this man and this ministry you've given him. And I thank you for it. We lift up Brother Ronnie McCoy this morning. We pray for his healing and you're comforting him, Lord, through this process of healing. We pray for Sister Gwen and Sister Gladys. We pray for Sister Allie. We pray for those who write into us and ask for prayer. We pray for every person's name on that list that we have that's ever so long. We pray, Lord, that this would be the day that each one find your miracle working hands touching their bodies, their relationships, their situations. Most of all, their hearts. Most of all, that which you only look upon, their hearts. And we thank you, Lord, for the power of God. We thank you for the power of God invading each and every one of their lives, the, the men who receive the Bibles every week that they would be saved and filled with your spirit and used mightily to rebuke everything they're surrounded by that is not your word in righteousness. We thank you today for this time we've shared with you and your people. We thank you for this time in the word of God. And Lord, we thank you for reminding us that what your son did at Calvary is enough to make us more 
more and more sure every day that our assurance can be coming more and more full every day. I pray your blessings upon the people as we leave this place in great joy today, trusting in and serving only you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. He loves you. Keep trusting in Him.